0: Hello, and welcome to episode 56 of Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know, you didn't want the answer to. I'm Vib.
1: And I'm Sean, and neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Except this week I'm quite excited, because this is a topic you and I talk about quite frequently.
0: We actually know a bit about this, don't we? Well, I mean, when we say that we as well. read.
1: We've both read the books and seen the films, so I think that's maybe... I've actually read as these as, we as well.
0: How crazy is that? <laughs> which, is,
1: which is quite scary.
0: I know. Uh. Um, it's we We're revisiting the a, a, a universe that we're quite fond of. I mean, our second ever episode on this show was about The Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? Mm. And it's still it one was. of your favourites, even though it was utter nonsense. Remains,
1: I, I think it's just... It really... It highlights really well the sort of depths of insanity that the show can get to when we really put our mind to it.
0: I think that's absolutely right. It was a, it was a like, great episode. It was really fun to record as well.
1: Yeah. If, if you want to expose someone to sort of raw expertise is overrated, there's a few places you can go. I think the Marcone episode that we recorded very recently, episode 52 is one of them. But alternatively, go all the way back to... Uh, Aragorn has no claim to the kingdom of Gondor, just because that was, as you say, it was so much fun.
0: It was also crazy, and you get to monologue, so.
1: Yeah, and I got to talk for a long time, which I really enjoy. Uh,
0: No, so if you are new here, and you haven't already switched off, then yeah, go and check that out. But also stay and listen to this one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, check it out after you've (laughs) listened to this one.
0: Or if you go now, then come back. All right, we're losing track here, aren't we?
1: (laughs) Listen to all of our episodes. That's what we're saying.
0: (laughs) Listen to them all, rate them all, like them all, download them all, do all the things. Tell
1: us what you think. Mostly though, download them. Uh, Uh,
0: Yes, Lord (laughs) of the
1: Rings. (laughs) This week we're we're talking about, I think, in very broad terms, changes made by Peter Jackson when adapting the Lord of the Rings to the three films adaptation. Is that right? I've bungled that sentence terribly. You, you, you have. I to put that on sentence. On sentence? On silence? Excuse me.
0: You have, and I feel you've also given Peter Jackson a lot of credit. <laughs> and well, you've left out poor he, Philippa Boynes and Fran Walsh. um They did a lot of the writing for the films.
1: I have. I, I sort of both praise and blame Peter Jackson exclusively for... The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, which is not, which is unfair of me, I know, but it's just, the, the problem of being this sort of central creative figure as identified by the media, like obviously any film, any TV show has hundreds of people working behind the scenes, but it sort of all rests either with the director or the, the showrunner or the writers, I suppose. Certainly for, for Lord of the Rings, I think of them as Jackson's Lord of the Rings.
0: Uh, I mean, sure. This bodes well for the amount of nonsense I'm sure you're going to come up with. Um, uh, and also saying. have no bad things said about Peter Jackson. He's made three phenomenal films. And no more than three.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Brain Dead is pretty good. Have you ever seen that? Do
0: you the, the only Jackson dead? films I've seen are the Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and then King Kong
1: jackson's king kong is quite something what i think is insane before we get on to lord of the rings is if you look at jackson's work before the lord of the rings he was making like weird cult b movie horror shit <laughs> that's like really bad and someone someone at newline went let's give this guy all of the money and all of our trust to go and make a fantastic like three five hour long fantasy epic films yeah, I'll be fine.
0: Must have been a great meeting, right? Because ultimately, I, th- I think New Line must have been like, you know, we really want to shoot it in New Zealand because it's very middle earthy. Who have we got out there? Oh, thought, this guy. I
1: think, I think <laughs> it was we want to shoot it in New Zealand because it's really cheap.
0: Yeah, that will have helped.
1: <laughs> but have you have you heard about the pitch meeting? So this is a an urban legend. I don't know how much of this is true. But when Jackson was pitching Newline the film, I think he was pitching them one film for the whole. Three, it may not have been Jackson, it may have been the writer, someone pitched one film.
0: Yeah, I do vaguely remember hearing that.
1: And and it just so happened that one of the suits in the room had recently finished reading Lord of the Rings with their, like, 10 or 11-year-old kid. And so I was like, hold on, you want to do one film? Yeah, but aren't there three books? <laughs> yeah. Okay, do you want to make three films? Yes, please. Sure, go do that that was it that, that, like, we nearly didn't get it if, if but for that sort of random chance of someone having recently read them we wouldn't have got the three films
0: yeah yeah there's always there's always stuff like that right in, in, in the great oh, events in life um, no I just I'd love to to have been in the room when uh, they, they would have had like a progress meeting and be like so how much CGI are you using is like, oh not, not much at all really we're using props <laughs> you just see the new line of people going oh no <laughs> and a great decision but, uh, it
1: was yeah ah, right, fantastic uh, what we want to talk about today though other than heap praises upon the three i'm, I'm going to argue three of the best fantasy films ever made i,
0: I think it's the, the three best fantasy films ever i made. think
1: i think it is the three best fantasy films ever made
0: i challenge you listeners to come up with a better fantasy film
1: the of uh, I'm going to make it unpopular here. The only one I'm going to argue with is Star Wars, but that was for another day. The demonstrably
0: worse films, but yes, let's go on. <laughs> let's move on. Let's not have another one of these, shall we?
1: <laughs> you can keep your headphones in. We're not talking about Star Wars. Um, no, what we want to do is we want to talk about the changes made from, from book to, to film, which ones we think land and which ones we think perhaps don't land as well as they, they might have done.
0: And... Before you pick up your pens, uh, there are a lot of changes and we're not Mm. going to be able to cover them all because there are a lot of changes. (laughs) And some are very nuanced and some are quite big. I I think we're probably focusing on the big ones, maybe? Is that fair?
1: We are. We are. I mean, there's so many that we wouldn't be able to do, you know, all of Fellowship in our usual episode length. So we've got to focus on the big ones, I think.
0: So we've actually made a list, which... If you're new here, you know is it, you know that's very unusual for us. <laughs> planning,
1: planning, <laughs> planning. We don't do that very often.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, having a list means nothing ultimately. I'm sure we're gonna no, we're not gonna stick. Leave today. it halfway through. But um, yeah, so the changes between the books and the films. We're not. We're not really gonna. I don't know. I guess. I guess we are sort of doing this chronologically of, of sorts. Aren't then, we so
1: vaguely i guess before we dive in though do you think on the whole the changes make the films better or worse than if it had been a direct as line by line Mm. adaptation as you could do
0: that's such a hard question to answer i I know i I think the only way i can answer that is to say that i think the films are phenomenal so so by virtue of that i think the changes all land very well
1: that's a that's a decent cop out that I think I'll allow you. To. <laughs> I think I think I'm, I'd go further. I think that the changes make the films better fundamentally. I think there are a few changes that do a lot of harm or have the potential to do a lot of harm. But I think on the whole, are you, are you saying they make them better
0: than the book, or, or they make be- the films better films because of the
1: changes? Make the films yeah. better films than if you had one to one adapted the books.
0: I think that's probably fair.
1: I don't think I'd go so far as to say that the films are better than the books because I don't think that's a meaningful comparison because you're comparing two very different forms of media. What I will say is I asked my wife, I was talking to my wife about this before recording, and she said that she doesn't know what changes ultimately were made because she's only read one and a half books of Lord of the Rings, but she's watched all three films more than once. So whatever the changes were, they made it better. Which is pretty yeah. compelling. Yeah, I mean, to
0: be I mean, they are just phenomenal films, aren't they? And people people do bitch about the changes that were made, so I guess that's that's one of the things we'll be addressing. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're just great films, aren't they? Uh, I, I feel I've mentioned this on the show before, but there's there's only one scene in I think all three extended films at that but that's the only version you should be watching anyway that I genuinely dislike, <laughs> and we'll come on to it, I'm sure, but.
1: You see, I, I was talking to someone relatively recently who said, more or less, I have the same view as you. The extended editions are the best way to watch it, but the cinema experience of the theatrical release is better. They are better paced. Um, I think hmm. that's probably true.
0: Well, <sighs> but yeah, I, but knowing that the extended edition <laughs> exists, I, you just can't go back. I think. I think that's
1: probably also true.
0: <laughs> but saying that, I still vividly remember being in the cinema for all three films when they first came out. Mm, um, absolutely. Which I think is saying something given how long ago that is now. I <laughs> yeah. went to see The Return of the King twice. That's really impressive. I know. I don't think I've ever done that with a film in the <laughs> cinema twice. So.
1: I don't think I have. Anyway, anyway, it. anyway. The, so the first... Well, I think the first change we can deal with quite quickly is a sort of the it takes in the books the hobbits a very long time to leave the shire and there's this great plot around selling bag end and building or buying a house at crick hollow and there's a hobbit called fatty Bolger involved and it's really convoluted yes and and none of that happens in the in the film, Gandalf's like, "You got to go," and Frodo goes, "Should we go tonight?" And then he grabs Sam, and they're off. And it's like, "Okay, yeah, well done."
0: Yeah, so yeah, that's,
1: that's... cut two hundred and fifty pages of book.
0: And and what's funny about that is, I think Fellowship of the Ring is where some people switch off in the films, right? Because like, oh, it's taking forever. But you have the that's party, and then Gandalf goes to and you know to and from Gondor in. I don't know, like a five-minute montage. Tells Frodo to go and he goes, as you say. Whereas in the book, 17 years pass.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Isn't it like 20 years in the book?
0: Yeah, and then Frodo is 50 at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you know, maybe it's a good adventure, good time to have an adventure.
1: That's. I think that's also a, a point to make. Like, Frodo is is old. In, well, he's not old because Hobbits live a really long time, but he's like a lot older than... The hobbit that Elijah Wood is playing.
0: Yeah, so he's he's like a young adult for hobbit terms, right? Uh, being 50 ish. And, w- and what I think is really interesting in the books that, that they change in the films, obviously, is, is the dynamic between the four hobbits. Um, the ultimate yes. forms where Frodo is by far the oldest. I think the next nearest is probably Mary, and he's like 14 I think years that's younger. Right. Um, and Frodo's very much the the leader, and he's just wiser and more knowledgeable about things i don't actually know how old sam is but he might be the youngest No,
1: i think pippin's the
0: youngest yeah pippin's the youngest yeah but th-
1: but i might be being swayed by the films yeah, it's hard to Pippen know because yeah, in the films sean astin
0: is just like the fatherly figure of the four right and <laughs>
1: yeah cooking them all breakfast
0: and you know this is a change and i think it really works you know those four but on screen really work very well together
1: yeah and they're like still really good mates as well which yeah. is great that is really um, cool to see yeah the there's all sorts of class elements going on in the books as well, aren't there? Because Frodo is like a landed gentry.
0: Ah, uh, hobbit politics in the books is just
1: I, it. It doesn't make a huge amount of sense. I'm not. I'm not diving into where does Frodo's income come from, <laughs> but like he's definitely posher than Sam is.
0: Yeah, but they sort which of sneak that into the film a little the
1: bit case in the film, but it's 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 a lot more pronounced in the books, right? In in the film, it's like they're really good friends, whereas in the books, it's very much more like Sam is his. Well, I think Tolkien described him as a bantam, or Batman. Sorry, Batman, which is like a a soldier who looks after an officer type thing.
0: Yeah, like a sort of ward or a yeah, exactly. kind of a gopher, yeah. really. In some ways, <laughs> yeah, just
1: like a. a I'm going to use a slightly disparaging term, but a, a sort of general dog's body.
0: Yeah, a little bit.
1: But, but also his gardener, also his, also and most importantly, his gardener.
0: Um, yeah, but but I think so. Where this becomes relevant, which I think is one of the big themes that they changed, is just the overall view of you know the world as it stands. Right at the time that that they discover that they have the One Ring. Yeah, like in in the films, which I think works really well because it's an introduction to oh shit. <laughs> Um, but in the books it's sort of the whole
1: world kind of knows more
0: I feel is, is, is the is way of, of saying it there's,
1: there's more of a sense of creeping doom I think in the books like I don't know is that quite right I, I they, know what
0: they, you mean it, really, Well jumping the gun potentially throwing our list out the window but it's the Gandalf problem which we'll come on to I think in more detail later but in the books like Gandalf knows essentially from the get-go what's happening, right? Because he's been working against this evil for for many, many, many years. So he's yeah. ready for this. Whereas in the, in the films, it's sort of like, hmm, this opportunity has arisen. <laughs> what do we do? What is going on? And it's like I think that's right. the viewer is sort of like, oh, yeah, this is enticing and engaging. And then you have this really young hobbit who's going to go off on an adventure and he seems not ready for it because look how young he is and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and it, it it works. I think.
1: I, I think I think it does. It absolutely does.
0: Be um, sort of hard sell in a film, like you know, especially at the start th- of a nine-hour-long slog where the hero is just like, <laughs> "Yeah, I know, I know what I have to do. Um, I'm going to do it." So yeah, guess I well, guess great. I got
1: to go. Yeah, go go on a long walk then. <laughs>
0: yeah. And then you have Death but, Stranding, which I'm told is a great game. So maybe that would have worked as well.
1: Uh, maybe. It's a weird game. I, I I think the the pacing change to the start works really, really well. Even though, I mean, you could probably speed it up a little bit more. Although I I'm could, not sure. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's massively sped up, it.
0: but it's still quite slow yeah. for some people.
1: Yeah. yeah Imagine
0: yeah. having Tom Bombadil in that whole sequence in there. Wow, well, that,
1: <laughs> that brings us really neatly on to Tom Bombadil, doesn't it?
0: You'd have a mass exodus, I think, from the cinemas.
1: I might have walked out. Me,
0: me too. I probably
1: wouldn't, but I just we we've spoken about Tom Bombadil on the podcast before. I just don't see how you can do it. I don't see how you make Tom Bombadil work on screen.
0: Tom, even even in the book, he doesn't really work. Tom Bombadil is that he's the evidence for the fact that Tolkien was creating a universe, and so sometimes guess. he just put too much in certain things and, and didn't finish Ooh. most of what he what he was working on. Because that it was, was, so that vast. was exactly
1: that was exactly my point when we were speaking about Bombadil, right? The reason Tom Bombadil is in the Lord of the Rings, the reason he's in Fellowship, is because the Hobbits walk through where Tom Bombadil lives. Yeah, <laughs> like just any other author goes. I guess Tom Bombadil doesn't live there because that's complicated talking. Nah, in exactly, get, son.
0: See, <laughs> so, you know, in a modern day video game, that would be a side quest that's like really tenacious. It's like you know, I'm here. Side quest, come do me. But you can yeah. technically walk past just, it. But of just course, walk past it. in the books of Tolkien, no, no, no. <laughs> Not only does he rescue uh, them once, he comes back he a second them. time.
1: He rescues them twice. And I think this is a slightly harder change to sell, right, the Barrow Downs. I think the Barrow Downs are really creepy and evocative and, and really good on the page. But... Uh, but, but not not, not, not with the Tom... change
0: that, that they made to Frodo, I think. You can't make not Frodo j- a young, inexperienced guy and then have him quite calmly rescue everyone in the Barrow Downs. It just doesn't really work.
1: No, and I also don't see how you get everyone out of the Barrow Downs if you don't have Tom Bombadil, because no one else other than maybe Gandalf can do that.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Oh,
1: Unle- yeah. Un- unless Aragorn, but...
0: That's what I was thinking, but no. <laughs> but you're
1: having your Aragorn moment at Weathertop. That's where you see how badass Aragorn is. And it's a different kind of badassery, right? It
0: It is. Plus, you, don't, you, you wouldn't get the amazing scene of just him smoking a pipe in the corner and looking really menacing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. And then you don't get the first evidence of Sam's courage as well. I'll have you, long shanks.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But not just Sam, to be fair. All the hobbits do not, charge in. Also. Not
1: just, not just Sam.
0: He delivers the, the knockout line. The great line. <laughs>
1: but, but because you don't have the Barrow Downs, you don't have the Dagger of Westerness, which, I guess it doesn't matter. But it, it it comes back to, we've got Gandalf versus the Witch King much further down the line, and there's stuff about the Witch King in general. So maybe we can talk about that there. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, I uh,
0: something like the daggers of, uh, of Westerness, It's like it, it works again in the books because you can expand on it. But yeah. in the film, they just they just get given a dagger by Galadriel, and they're like, "Yeah, that'll do." And it's not even that the dagger is yeah. special in any way. It's just you know, the no, person wielding that, it is. Uh,
1: that's that's the difference, isn't it? In the in the books, Merry stabs the Witch King with the dagger of Westerness and then you have a paragraph so past the dagger of the Barrow Downs. Vlad would be its creator who forged it, yada yada yada. You don't have time or space or even really the medium to do that exactly in, in film. So, exactly what, what you're going to do? Are you going to say at the Council of Elrond, Oh, you guys have magic daggers that can unravel spells that bind race together? That's just going to feel shoehorned in.
0: It's like, Oh, by the way, there's a lot of magic <laughs> that we're not going to talk <laughs> yeah. about ever again,
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly.
0: Uh, yeah, no, so so axing Tom Bombadil, I think, is. Hands down,
1: one of the best mm. changes
0: made in the films.
1: I think it's probably we've probably just lost a load of listeners who love Tom Bombadil <laughs> and think not including him was a crime. But I,
0: he has a place in the books, and I think he's a super interesting character. But I, I would sometimes also go as far as saying he's worth skipping in the book.
1: If you know he's there, you don't need to read about him. <laughs> yeah. It's probably fair, because it is just a pause in the narrative.
0: It just is, yeah. It's just getting sidetracked on something completely yeah. irrelevant in many ways. Uh, so yeah, axing Tom Bobdill, great, great show. But much like, as, as you said, Bill, axing a lot of the general Shire nonsense. Yeah.
1: So at the moment, all we're doing is cutting.
0: Yeah, and it, it's working. Um, yeah. Then I guess if we continue this time, then we're cutting another... Fan favorite character.
1: <laughs> well, we actually cut two, so we've forgotten about. It. Well, not forgotten, perhaps, but there's the meeting that Frodo and Sam have with Gildor. Yes, in the books, yeah. which doesn't, work, which happens very differently. They did film that, didn't they? Well, you in the extended edition, Frodo and Sam watch some elves. Yeah, they watch,
0: leave. but I think they. This is did like, they
1: film some dialogue that never made it even into the extended.
0: Exactly, but I think there's like there's mm. a petition currently I think for like the super extended or or it's like been announced or something. Uh where there's like literally everything <laughs> that was ever filmed <laughs> release, the, release
1: the lost footage.
0: Because the, the films aren't quite long enough.
1: <laughs> I don't know, of course. So they generally so they take Gildor out which I think is fine because all especially as you say with this younger, less experienced, less wise Frodo. You don't need the opportunity to show that Frodo is wise and able to converse with elves and elvish and things like that. Yeah. Which is what Gildor gives you in the books. But then we come to the axing of well as you say fan favourite Glorfindel.
0: Old Glorfindel yeah. Who is to be fair another very confusing character in many ways because he's A first-age elf who's just sort of chilling still.
1: (laughs) Just a first-age elf sent back with even greater power than your average first-age elf. It's a sort of proto-Maya.
0: Yeah. See, what's interesting, because in the book, obviously, his his arrival is very obvious, because he is a first-age elf, and I think just looking upon a first-age elf is like nothing you would ever experience.
1: But also because Frodo is slipping into the unseen world, he's able to see Glorfindel as he is on the other side. Yeah. So he gets the radiance, the shining stone on the breast, all of that. And then I think we hear later from Gandalf that at one point Glorfindel sort of unmasked himself to put the wraiths to flight. Oh, and when he rides against them at the ford. And it's all just really confusing.
0: <laughs> yeah, in some ways, yeah. Um, but but uh, in the books, it's just harking back to this whole idea of like, oh yeah, the elves are, they're still here and they are yeah. a force to be reckoned with, which fits in very well with the narrative of, you know, the elves having picked up their rings ever since Sauron fell and actually defending Middle-earth. Yes. Um, since the Battle of the Last Alliance, which is something that they completely ignore in the films. And this is where Arwen well, is, is a little bit confusing, right? Because she arrives and is all glowy and elven and magical. But then they sort of portray all the elves as having kind of just given it up, you know? Like Elrond is a, is a particularly, uh, particularly egregious example of this, I think.
1: I don't know that I entirely agree with that. I think... Well, Elrond says that the light of the Eldar is fading. So I think it's more that they don't have the strength they once had, which I think is different from in the books. Because in the books, doesn't Elrond say that if the ring stayed in Rivendell, all else would fall and then Rivendell would fall as the last defense against the enemy type thing, which isn't the sense that you get in the films. You get the sense in the films that Rivendell is... Fading and empty and dying, which it's sort of not in the books. Ditto Lorien.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the what's missing from that line is you know, the light of the Eldar is fading in Middle Earth. Because they're yeah. all just leaving, which I think that's entirely fair. Well, certainly the Noldor are, but let's face it, everyone only cares about the Noldor. So.
1: <laughs> you're, s- <laughs> you're such an elf fanboy, it's ridiculous. Yeah.
0: I mean, they are the strongest race, what can I say? <laughs> um, um, it's almost like the world was created for, for their shenanigans. Um, but no, Glorfindel, I think, would have been... I mean, a, a, that's just introducing another character that you will then see for all of two minutes.
1: Um, I think that's I think that's the, the, the... There's two things that it buys you. Well, three things that it buys you. It buys you the introduction of a character who is ultimately more important than Glorfindel in Arwen. It buys you the sense that the elves are capable of acting against the enemy, but it's difficult for them. And it shows you a bit of the relationship between Aragorn and Arwen that becomes relevant later. So, by contrast, putting Glorfindel in is fun and cool, and he's a bit badass. But ultimately, one of them has to act as a taxi service to get Frodo from, (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the, the, the troll camp to Rivendell if you're going to do that you might as well use a character you can use later
0: makes a lot of sense yeah makes a lot of sense and, yeah. and I think we'll, we'll yeah we'll, I guess we'll come back to this maybe with the scouring of the Shire that sort of thing but in the books having Glorfindil there I think is still a very strong signal that you know the west is not for your taking Saron um, you know you're not ready for this shit <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, I mean,
0: which which is a great message in the books because you know there's there's obviously a lot else going on in the extended universe of Middle Earth. Yes, but you don't you don't want to deal with that thing. in the film, and that, that's absolutely fine.
1: And that's the other challenge. If you show Glorfindel as capable of riding against the Nine, the question, the the stronger question then becomes: Where is he for the rest of the film? Why isn't he in the Fellowship, etc., etc.? And the, the, the that's simple true answer the books is as well. <laughs> because someone's got to stick back and defend Rivendell is probably the answer and also there's the point that Glorfindel shines so brightly on the other side Saur- Sauron would see him coming which is a sort of point that's half made by Elrond but you don't need to deal with that if you don't have Glorfindel yeah like it's it's exactly. again it's just tighter it's neater
0: no, it's, it's, it's really great screenwriting, I think. As, as you've said it, yeah. you're introducing a character that's going to be relevant for the duration of the story. Mm-hmm. And now, the nature of her relevance and the relationship she has with Aragorn, I think, is a, is a problem. But we can put a pin in that don't. as well. <laughs> yeah. We put in a many pins, so if you're listening, tell us how many things we actually came back to Get and how many sure. things we forgot about.
1: <laughs> make sure we come back to at least some of them.
0: That, that, that's a big one though. I think I think we will come back to that. But yeah, but yeah. So so we've axed a lot of characters from the books in in favour of others, or just leaving them all altogether in the films. And I think mm-hmm. we we seem to both agree that that's that was a good choice
1: all round. True. Every change like this though, you do lose some of the depth of the Lord of the Rings. Right, and Hmm. Tom Bombadil, Fatty Bolger, Crick Hollow, all of that, the Old Forest, Old Man Willow—they serve to build a deeper, richer world. Yeah. Oh, which for sure, is not not necessarily the sense that you get from the films, for sure.
0: But it's it's the same sort of thing that season one of Game of Thrones did, right? And, you know, look, look at all these characters and how great they are, and then by season eight, it's like there's five characters exactly. in the whole world because you yeah, just don't yeah. have time. <laughs>
1: No, no, I completely agree. But I'm just saying, so yes, we sound like we agree with all the changes because I think broadly speaking we do. But we do recognise that you're losing something with each of these training, with each of these yes. changes. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah, it has to be a film ultimately, right? and the films are already that's, comically long,
1: especially for the time. And that's that's fundamentally what you've always got to hark back to: is are people going to feel like sitting through this scene was worth the time of the scene? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we we are make, making our way out of the Shire. I think, we're doing this <laughs> <laughs> um And this is where I wrote Frodo, oh Frodo, which I think is just, we, we sort of made the point, right? Frodo, they, they changed the character quite significantly um, from mm-hmm. the books to the film. But actually, I think it really works on screen. Um, so, yes. well done. And they stuck to that. I think it was quite consistent writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, well done. Now, actually, one thing that happens while they're still in the Shire or... Um,
1: We come to our first edition
0: Yeah, Um, when the the hobbits are on their way to Bree uh, The old wizarding jewel (laughs) This is so much fun I mean, who doesn't want to see Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee (laughs) Two two knights of
1: the realm Going at it Chewing on (laughs) Phrasing Chewing on scenery Having a great time As far as I can tell my favourite bit of that scene, and I've said it before, is when the first three doors have been closed on Gandalf <laughs> by Saruman, and he keeps trying for more doors. He's like, what about, oh no, I can't get through that What about, no, not that it's, one. I'm it's like, clearly just a game doing? that they would play,
0: right? It's like what the old Gandalf, the, uh, the, old, the old Saruman prank. <laughs> oh,
1: he's closed <laughs> all the doors.
0: <laughs> and then they throw down and it's excellent.
1: It's really, really good, because it's such an old man fight. It's such the an old man fight. The thing that seems to happen is they just fall over.
0: <laughs> like, it looks like they're throwing huge amounts of power around, and all that happens is they, they fall over. Trip up. Um, but you get Christopher Lee in his booming voice, you know, saying, you've chosen the way of pain. Oh, yeah, great.
1: Um, and he sends Gandalf flying up the tower, and I've got no idea what happens when he gets to the top, but it doesn't matter. I, think that's really I wonder
0: good. that every single time. It's like, doesn't he just get smashed into the ceiling and then what? Whereas in the books, he just gets calmly escorted by some dudes.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no fight. Saruman's so was just like, no, no, get on the roof. And I was like, well, okay.
0: But, he, but it's very much implied that he sort of gets the roof in the book and then instantly gets on the seagull and goes away. <laughs> like, what's the whole point of this? <laughs> okay, Bye. No, but oh, I, it's okay. it, it, so obviously they added a great duel, but I think what what they really added, which the film I think desperately needed at this point, was a genuine villain. Yes, right, because it's all smouldery in the books, and it works. And, and Saruman is so much more complicated, right? Saruman of many colours, you know.
1: Is he Saruman making sense ring maker.
0: exactly? Like, is he making sense? Are, are the things he's saying actually, you know, kind of right? That sort of thing, you know. Maybe Gandalf will have a bit of doubt, and of course, in the books, he doesn't because he's Gandalf, and doubt is not a word in his vocabulary. Um, But in the film, at this point, you just sort of yeah, you've seen Sauron, but like he's dead, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. and the ring is too amorphous,
0: so this this works.
1: Yeah, it just it condenses the threat of the first film into a specific person, whom later in the in the film we see acting against the Fellowship. It's re- yeah, it's really well done.
0: Yeah, massively. And, and it being Christopher Lee, all, all the better.
1: Um, all, all to the good. The way he narrates his own entrance as well. Yeah. Smoke <laughs> rises from the mountain of doom and Gandalf the Grey rides to Isengard seeking my assistance as he's walking down the stairs. And I'm like, wait, hold on a second. Have you just been talking to yourself from the top of that twenty foot staircase?
0: <laughs> yeah, no, because it's the voice of Saruman, so like everyone great, will have heard. <laughs>
1: yeah, in your great booming baritone, it's amazing. There are
0: people waking up in Edoras being like, "What the fuck was that?"
1: <laughs> Gandalf the Who? <laughs> yeah. Gandalf Green. great no, I, uh, no. I like I like the changes to to Saruman. I think. Saruman of many colours much like everything In when you've got the time in the book to deal with the complexity and and look at what is Saruman trying to do works really well but just condensing it down to this is a fight we can't win we should join with Sauron yeah cool I can buy that from a wizard everyone loves yeah. the evil wizard trope perfect
0: absolutely and I think as much as I love him doing away with Radagast Brown altogether Makes a lot of sense because that's just as you said before, it's just another character that you have to explain. <laughs> um, and so essentially, they're setting up like Gandalf the gray second because he's gray, Saruman the white first because yeah. he's the white. Yeah. And so, yes, later exactly. on, when Gandalf comes back as the white, people are like,
1: oh, Okay,
0: maybe he's now the big badass. <laughs> I'm
1: Saruman as he should have been, exactly. Yeah, it works,
0: yeah, it works really well. Um, unfortunately, though, I think the way they wrap up Saruman's storyline, especially in the Cinematic releases, why well, they just don't wrap it up at all?
1: <laughs> Nothing happens so to him.
0: That that even though they made him the villain, or at least a major villain, then just leaving his story unended is is kind of bad.
1: <laughs> you don't get many. You don't get much resolution to that story. No, I think the I think the resolution of the extended edition should just be in the theatrical. Like it's not a wholly satisfying. Resolution. But it does but the job, right? It's five he's, minutes. He's done in by his own tool, yeah. essentially. He fails to recognize the threat of, essentially, a creature that he made, and it kills him.
0: Yeah, no, the the, the cinematic release, I, I don't know what they were thinking. Did they just forget about Saruman? <laughs> I, It's It's a baffling,
1: that's a baffling change, I think.
0: I, I, I guess it's a sort of, where do you put it, right? Because I don't think you can put it at the end of Two Towers. So, so they stick it at the beginning of the extended editions of Return of the King. Yeah. But it's also like, you
1: know... At that point, who cares? Because it's, clear it's over that yeah Sauron is the threat. Yeah.
0: Like, you know, you, you so, want to end on Gandalf saying, you know, um, his wrath will be terrible, his retribution swift, and then yeah. focus on Sauron and not go back mm-hmm. to Saruman and deal with that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know but you, it's you a very great step yeah, yeah. you need to resolve it but the wizard duel
1: fantastic mm. <laughs> top notch um it's pretty it's pretty vanilla from most of the rest of fellowship you take a lot of little stuff out like the crones miramir and things like that but that's that's window dressing right that's not major changes. That's just cutting stuff that's decent lore.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, 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 they sort of hype up um, Galadriel as being extra weird maybe in the films. True. True. But no, I, think I, I don't mind true. that at all. I think Maury oh, yeah. and all that stuff is pretty faithful. Although the purists I'm sure will argue about the specifics of that, you know, given that in the books Gandalf suggests they go through Moria. Gimli's not really that
1: fussed. <laughs> no, it's not Gimli. Arag- is it? Aragorn it's,
0: is saying, uh, let's go over address," uh, you know, all these sort of things. But...
1: Yeah. Doesn't really matter. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Legolas recognises the Balrog. There's a great scene where Aragorn and Boromir stand against the Balrog until Gandalf gets him to piss off, which I think is quite good. There's actually a lot of sort of subtly bigging up Boromir, I think, in Fellowship that we don't necessarily see in the film. So I, I I was reading a post about this recently. So in Moria, when the Balrog first reveals itself and Legolas drops his arrow and Gimli covers his face in fear... The two people that spring forward to stand with Gandalf against the Balrog are Aragorn with Anduril in hand, and Boromir who blows the horn of Gondor, in sort of answer to the Balrog's roar. Yeah, which I think is just such a like cool little Boromir moment and Aragorn moment. To be fair, that we don't get. It, it,
0: it. Yeah, we we, we get like an inkling matter. of it, no. right? Like, sure. Because Gandalf tells Aragorn. Yeah, not not so much Boromir, I suppose. He tells Aragorn to just leave because, you know, yeah, foe is beyond any of you. Um, what I think is a little bit odd in, in the in the film, perhaps, is that Gandalf just knows ahead of time what's in Moria. Like I I don't think yeah. that's a known fact that there's a Balrog there.
1: <laughs> I think it's like, I don't think anyone knows that Durin's Bane is a Balrog. No. It's, it's, which
0: makes it kind of weird in the film because it's like you know there's a Balrog there and, and, and yet you don't vocalise yeah, that, that you, would, <laughs> you go there
1: <laughs> yeah when it's like let the ring bearer decide by the way what's here is like me but evil and probably stronger yeah,
0: the biggest evil left in this world probably
1: <laughs> yeah at least of a, of level with Sauron should we go there? what do you reckon?
0: <laughs> yeah Sauron as he is currently yeah for sure I think Balrog probably yeah. match matches him really um
1: There's an interesting
0: point about Boromir sort of being subtly bigged up in the books. I think you're right. In the film, he's much more just, this is a man. This is what men are like currently, and they're all flawed.
1: And and also Boromir was there. You don't get the Boromir is the greatest of his... But for Aragorn, Boromir is the greatest living man. I think you don't get that sense. He's just another bloke who's there to make Aragorn look good, which is sort of fine because... You want him to well, fall in it.
0: Because what you do in the books, right, is you change Aragorn's character, and this is a big one we'll be talking about, I'm fairly sure. Yes. You change Aragorn's character, so what you have to, by, by virtue of doing that, change Borom his character. And, and I think they essentially just scale them both down. <laughs> so it kind of makes sense. Um, they do. To, to Borom his detriment, for sure. Although they save it pretty well, and Amon Hen, I think his his death speech is, I mean, it's a classic. Yes,
1: my brother, my captain, my king. Uh, fantastic. brings a tear to, brings a tear to my eye Absolutely. every time. Absolutely, uh,
0: and in this, I mean, we might as well cover it here. But this is a change. I, I don't know if I like this change, but it it sort of again makes cinematic sense, right? Where Boromir is very clearly killed by. You know, lertz the Urakai captain, who you, we've had weird shots of throughout the film. It's it's
1: it's similar to Saruman, isn't it? What you're doing is you're condensing threat into yeah. a single recognisable yeah. individual. And, it's like there's always a chief henchman in a James Bond film. Exactly. The James Bond has to kill before he can get to the villain. Exactly. This is what Lurtz is.
0: He's, he's an Urakai, so special. He's the only one who gets a bow. <laughs>
1: Whereas I think in the books we don't see Boromir die, but I'm fairly sure he's killed by like flights of arrows.
0: Yeah, well, you, we just see him, um, dead or dying, surrounded by countless mm. bodies of Urukai and and many arrows in him, and the horns cleaved yeah. and so on. So he he just dies a really heroic death uh, in sort of just outnumbered, <laughs> hopelessly outnumbered, <laughs> and defending. Fa- and to be fair,
1: his his death in the film is incredibly heroic as well like, yes yeah. it's a, he, he gets that heroic ending but.
0: but because you have to kind of show it on screen you can't just have it be a random uruk right because it that's demeans it even if you have like 10 of them just pounce on him yeah. it's not the same you, you need to as you say condense it to one character
1: because what you also need to do is you need to give aragorn the revenge, essentially the revenge kill of Boromir's killer, so that Aragorn can then essentially have the conversation with Boromir. Yes.
0: And you also get yeah. to do the shield throw into the tree, which is one of the sort of... I think he he sort of... he sprinkles them in every now and then, there's, there's Jackson, like these these crazy over-the-top action sequences, and I love them, they're great. Yeah.
1: The, the knife deflect, which is really good.
0: He did that in real life.
1: Yes. <laughs> It's because a, he's a moron, <laughs> Viggo Mortensen. Knows. It was it was a stunt knife.
0: You don't know. He might a, have switched it before.
1: No, it was a. So he was trying. There's there's a really good because the story that goes round was that the actor playing Lertz accidentally let go of the knife in the shot, and Viggo Mortensen had to deflect it and got lucky because it was a real knife. Actually, what happened was. Vigo Mortensen's stunt double was practicing the shot and couldn't make it, so they just decided to try it with Vigo Mortensen, and he made the he made the swing first time. And his stunt double was like, "I fucking hate him! <laughs> like he did it he did it with no practice. The man is not normal."
0: Yeah, I mean, he has um, been walking around in his getup. <laughs> he 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 knew everything,
1: Fe- feeding Bill the pony in his trailer. Yeah. Which is, I think my favorite photo.
0: Ah, Vigo, my hero. What yeah. An absolute hero.
1: What a ridiculous human being.
0: Yeah. No, so I mean, yeah, <laughs> Boromir's death. I think is that's a, a good cinematic change for sure. And then also just you know having having his send off at the end of Fellowship as opposed to yes. uh, in Two Towers.
1: I think um, that's right. It gives it caps that film really well.
0: Yeah, massively. You I, know, it, it really will... sets it up as a sort of like, okay, we have our new mission, which is save Merry and Pippin.
1: Yes. I I will forever think that Fellowship a little bit gets Boromir wrong. But again, I think I can forgive the film given where it ends up. Hmm. I don't think you get the sense of how big a deal Boromir is in Fellowship. No, but,
0: but this is a change in the entire film series, right? Is that men, especially the, the men that we see, their flaws are way bigged up.
1: I think that's absolutely true
0: right, Boromir, super flawed, only, you know, <laughs> super fallible, you know, gets really swayed by the ring, and that's sort of all we see of him.
1: It's on- only resolved at the very end at yeah. his death.
0: Faramir, same story, right, we're, we're coming on to that pretty much now. Yeah. Aragorn, same story, just conflict, insecurity, just awful. Denethor, Den- I mean, they really assassinated yeah. his character in the films. Yes. So, and it's, it's a theme not just with the men, but the elves as well. Um, I mean, I touched on Elrond briefly, but like his, he's just not the same by any means. Everyone,
1: everyone is humanized, and I don't necessarily mean that in a positive way. Ca- Tolkien's Tolkien's characters are so, a lot of them are so sure of themselves, so firm in their convictions, so much larger than life, and none of them really are in the book in the films, I'm going to get that wrong constantly, but like, yeah, Aragorn in the books never experiences a moment of self-doubt, really. And at one point, I'm fairly sure Gandalf says that Aragorn at the height of his strength could wrestle control of the wing ring away from Sauron.
0: Yeah, no, this is, and this is a fundamental thing. Sauron in the books fears Aragorn purely because because he he is Aragorn. Aragorn.
1: could take, yeah, because Aragorn could take up the ring. Yeah. And there's no sense in the films that Aragorn is that big a deal. Sure, he's Isildur's heir, but we don't spend the time to understand what that means.
0: Yeah. Yeah, in the film, they, they, they sort of switch the focus a bit, right? They're like, oh, Sauron is a little bit of afraid of Gondor being mm. united by a king. Which which is true in the books as well, but in the books, it, it is much more, oh, Aragorn is so badass that Sauron's just a yeah. bit afraid of him.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: Because this guy has been waging war for ages and just, yeah.
1: But he's also the culmination of, well, of basically Finwë's bloodline, right?
0: Well, yes. Like it, yeah. it the, the true of king of Gondor. In,
1: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sort of v- vested in Aragorn is all the strength of all men and elves ever, essentially. He's yeah. he's he's special, fundamentally. And the sense that you get from the films is that he's not that special.
0: Yeah, they, they, he's a, they he's he's a
1: bit special. And you have that conversation that he has with Eowen where she's like, Wait, how old are you? Yeah. And he goes, Oh yeah, I'm eighty six and she's like, You're one of the Dunodyne. Um... But you don't
0: <laughs> Woo!
1: But it's like, Yeah, no, this this guy is like Elros Ross come again.
0: Yeah, and and for cinematic reasons they, they essentially That's... give him the same sort of starting point as Frodo, right? It's like, oh, this is a a character at the start of their heroic journey which they will yes. seek to complete by the end of this, you know, epic. Whereas in the books it's like, this is Strider, he's a badass, he's going to be king of Gondor and Arnor, <laughs> and yeah, he the, will lead the, you, because he can.
1: This, this is the guy who will reforge the two kingdoms anew and rule wisely and well for 400 years. Like, you're looking at Middle-earth Jesus type thing.
0: But this is where I think, right, the fact that they introduced Arwen early on makes a lot of sense, but then they completely get wrong, and I think this is something the films do get wrong, They, they, they get the whole dynamic between Arwen and Aragorn wrong, and Aragorn's motivation, they get it wrong. Yes. Right? The only reason, well, not the only reason, I'm sure, but... So essentially, Aragorn is—it's a retelling of Beren and Luthien, right? Which you know, absolutely Tolkien was very stuck on that. But Aragorn just really, really loves Arwen, and he wants to marry her. And, and you know the classic stories. Boy, and Elrond's like, yeah, girl. sure, but you can only do that after doing this impossible thing, <laughs> much like Beren. Like, oh, go and get a, a silver. Go get a
1: silver. Go be king of Gondor
0: and Arnor. <laughs> that's Elrond's request Argon. like oh just just you know become king of Gondor and reawaken the old kingdom of Arnor and then yes Ar- you Argon's may marry like, my daughter and okay. so I was like yeah sure I'll do that
1: <laughs> be back in 80 years buddy yeah.
0: whereas in the film yeah. it's just sort of you know they, they love each other and that's, that, that's like a thing that's that's going mm. on um, although there's the and whole earwind thing which was, is weird and I don't really understand it but yeah. you know I guess they were that's, like, you know, we've we've had like one woman on screen for, you know, five minutes. <laughs> we should we should I, add something else. Yeah. I,
1: I I also kind of think that the Aowen thing is this film has no love interest whatsoever. Like, there's absolutely no relationship, a romantic relationship on screen. Ah, we can give everyone's already got a crush on Aragorn. We can just make that canon. It's fine. Yeah, and it, it and works a hell of a
0: lot better than. You know, introducing Tauriel and, and some sort of bizarre oh, yeah. elf dwarf love relationship. Although well, I'm sure I, if they I were don't. to reshoot the films now, they would probably big up Gimli and Legolas
1: bromance. Nudge nudge wink wink.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I, you I, pull it off want... with with um, uh, John Rhys Davies. There, <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> Sorry, so. <laughs> no, piss off. <laughs>
0: But yeah that, that that's a that's a change that I, I don't fully get i think in the attempt to to humanize aragorn as as you say is, they they lose the importance of that relationship
1: so it's it's so varied right so on the one hand i think the humanization of aragorn is almost fundamental to making the films work because book aragorn i've said it before book aragorn would be so hard to get right on screen. Yes. But on the other hand, if you don't get if you don't put Aragorn on screen, so much stops making as much sense. Like, what is Aragorn's drive to do, all of the things that he does, if it's not ultimately Win Arwen's hand? Like, why why is he braving the Paths of the Dead? Why does he take up the crown ultimately when he's shown, he's not sure he wants it. I I think the change to his character is right, but I think the film perhaps struggles to string a lot of things together as a result of that.
0: This is, you said this before, this is like your favorite change, right?
1: Mm. I think it is my favorite change. I think the Aragorn that we get is a much better Aragorn for the films than book Aragorn, yeah. a true book Aragorn representation would be. But I do think it causes its own problems.
0: Uh, but, I wouldn't necessarily go as far saying. as saying problems. I, I, I think if you're Lord of the Rings agnostic and you come in to watch this, it, it's a very relatable storyline, right? For a classic mm-hmm. heroic quest. That there are some bits where you're like, hmm, yeah. But, but, but again, this is where maybe having Frodo be this young and vulnerable-looking hobbit who's brave works. Because then Aragorn's like, oh, you know, this guy is pretty brave. I'll just help him. And then... That's true. It's just the series progresses in such a way as like, well, I've come this far. I might as well keep doing good that's, deeds. No,
1: that's that's very true. And I don't often consider the change to Aragorn and the change to Frodo in the same context. And I think you're right that they play off each other.
0: Yeah. And then ultimately, I think they, they, they maybe cornered themselves slightly and this is why Elrond somehow teleports from Rivendell <laughs> to Dunharrow
1: <laughs> I I hate this I'm so, I just do, I don't think this works
0: No, it, it's but that's what I mean, I, th- I think they cornered themselves because they were like, yeah. okay we, we've sort of turned Aragorn into like, coming to the edge and like, mm, what's my motivation for continuing on now, like this is the difficult bit and then they're like oh we need, we need the sword <laughs> we need him to accept it's- his kingship and then boom, teleport Elrond right into into it yeah like I, I like that they reforged the sword of that point I think it works a lot for this Aragorn it's just then they were like how do we how do we merge these two things now <laughs> how,
1: yeah, how do we how does how does Elrond get from uh, Rivendell to Dunharrow like obviously horse, on a mate. horse
0: but like something something things, great eagles
1: I suppose the gap of Rohan is open at that point because Saruman has been defeated.
0: Yeah, I think we're sort of meant to assume that a lot Farsi, of this happens very I mean, soon after the Fellowship actually leaves Rivendell.
1: Yeah, Elrond like, has a vision and goes, I know what, actually, yeah, I should probably forge that sword. Yeah. Because it, ta- it probably takes like, a few weeks to forge I don't know. Like, I don't think it's just the work of a knight to knock it back together.
0: But if, if you... Yeah. If we're sort of assuming that all the things that are happening in the books are happening now, then then it makes absolutely no sense.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like war going um, on everywhere and he's just casually riding away from well, an elven stronghold the, to deliver
1: a sword. I don't think the War of the Ring is like canon in the films. I don't think it's meant to have happened in the same way.
0: No, I, I don't think so. Because again, it's just, it doesn't really add I mean, anything, right?
1: Legolas says it at one point to, to Gimli, and Gimli says, "Oh, what I wouldn't give for a legion of, was it, a legion of dwarves fully armed and filthy or something?" Because Gimli is just comic relief at this point. And Legolas says, "Your kinsmen may have no need to march to war. I fear war already marches on their doorstep." But that's it. That's the yeah, that's whole it. whole thing that we we hear.
0: As a matter of fact, I think we're we're almost meant to. Yeah, and not, not think that anything's going on. Even though they did film an attack on Lothlorien, I think. Again, it's one of these things that, that didn't make it into the extended edition, even.
1: Shame shame! Lothlorien sent all of their soldiers well, to Helm's Deep. Them. That's the thing, yeah. <laughs> or so, so did they just film Celeborn Ke- um, Kele- getting absolutely butchered by Orcs? Well, to
0: be fair maybe they get Landry on are like it's fine we've got this.
1: <laughs> yeah you guys you guys go help Rohan we'll we'll take care. Of we'll it.
0: take we'll take care of Sauron's army just the two of us. Um which brings us neatly on to a, a change that is much maligned and misunderstood I think whereas it is just rule of cool isn't
1: it. It's much debated I think I think you're exactly right. Rule of cool.
0: Like we have all these elves we have all this cool armor. <laughs> Let's do we've something made with it. it. <laughs> It's a shame that yeah. they uh, they have this close up shot of someone who clearly doesn't know how to use a bow, firing volleys. Mm. <laughs> You're like, come on, man! They couldn't have they couldn't have picked a better archer to be like front line here.
1: It's it's yeah. This is obviously the elves at at Helm's Deep. Yeah, well, yeah. I like yeah.
0: it. I I love I, I love it. It's, I think it's a great change, even though they all die. Elves...
1: Yeah, but they they take out like ten thousand high, so I think it's fine.
0: Yeah, the bit I really hate is just how they charge into a line of pikes. That's and just really, get themselves in really, really
1: pay. <laughs> that's really funny. I tend to just assume that that's Aragorn, and he's like, "I actually don't really. I've never led an army. Like, I've always been second in command. So I don't know what I do here. Everyone else always try to charge, so I guess we do that." And I was like, "Oh shit!"
0: And what he's learned for next time is to say "charge," but avoid the spears.
1: <laughs> charge with. Arrows. <laughs> um, really so weird. I love
0: it, but you know that that you know there's bits of that that are a bit you know why? Yeah, but it's
1: I also this, this, but that that's got all sorts of the battle of Helm's has all sorts of weirdness, right? So Lego who we've seen putting arrows through orc eye sockets at like two miles suddenly can't hit a berserker. <laughs> the torch bearer, yeah, just shoots him in the shoulder three times.
0: Yeah. What's also great about that is that he's he's very clearly like right above the gully, and then somehow survives the blast.
1: <laughs> well, because he's awesome and probably like walks down the exploding rocks.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, doesn't doesn't touch him because he's special elf. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, no, Halder, When I was a kid, Halder was one of my favorite characters. I don't really know why because he's not really. It's just cool when, when he really marches the army, in, and I was like, "Oh, that's awesome!"
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, he, he obviously dies. But it, it, again, it makes sense because Haldir <laughs> did feature in the first film, and you know, yeah, going because- that, you have to that like, you have to introduce Irk and Brand and all that sort of business. You know, well, that's
1: that's a change that I really like about Helm's Deep is they keep the cast narrow. So Aeormer is the one that Gandalf gathers and. Rides to Helm's Deep with, rather than sending, it is Urkenbrand, isn't it? Who he's the one is comes to back, I think. Yeah. Gather, gather all of the scattered peoples of the Westfold and fall upon the high with Gandalf. Yeah. I think it just works better for Aomer to do that.
0: Exactly, like the exiled, you know, exactly
1: the ex- exiled prince returning, yeah, type thing.
0: Yeah. The Tri- triumphantly returning as well.
1: Yeah, exactly yeah. to break the sea. I mean, it just it just works really well. It's it's already
0: kind of weird that they introduce um, uh, Hammer. I think it is, right? One of the uh, Rohan captains who then gets killed by a warg.
1: He's the door guard, isn't he? Is he the door guard? He's the guy who takes... That's another reason why giving Aragorn and Doriel late is bad because you don't have the excellent scene at the door of Edoras where Aragorn's like you touch my fucking sword and I will kill you. You will insist on calling (laughs) it Anduriel, won't you? Anduriel. What am I meant to say?
0: Anduriel. That's what I say. say, No, you keep saying Anduriel like the angel.
1: No, I don't. I say Anduriel. Yeah, that's... Well, anyway. (laughs) I'm not saying Anduriel. I'm saying Anduriel. That's... <laughs> <laughs> fucking
0: hell! And I'm, I'm supposed to be the foreigner here. Um, anyway, oh, yeah. now, that is a shame that we don't get that seat. We, we sort of get it, right? When Aragorn reluctantly hands over his big elf knife, but it's not quite the same as
1: it's. It's not the same as uh, this is an, And forged from the swords of Narsil. Any hand that draws it, but mine, will be fucking murdered, mate. Yeah. But then you, yeah, so that's Hammer, I'm fairly sure, who then dies on the ride to Helm's Deep. And then we see his son.
0: Yeah, really random cameo.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's a a fine blade
0: when everyone in the room and and probably all 10,000 uruk are like, "Uh, no, mate.
1: (laughs) That's going to (laughs) snap.
0: That's a piece of shit.
1: (laughs) Yes. I, I, I like that scene. I really like Aragorn taking the time to be like, yeah, no, we'll be fine. That kid is 100% dead.
0: Oh, 1 million percent <laughs> dead. He's not in the last shot, so we know he's dead. No, he's
1: not. Unless he's he not fled riding. into the
0: caves, in which case he's going to have to live in shame for the rest of his life. Yeah. But so, uh, Helm's Deep, by and large, I like the changes a lot. Yeah. Um, What I don't like about that, the whole part of the thing, we're not going to get through all three films, are we, today?
1: But <laughs> we might need to, we might need to, we need to stop do part two. after, Yeah.
0: Um, but the ends, and I think this is genuinely a change that why you maybe don't really realize it when you're watching the films, but it is quite bad, isn't it? Like, there's so I, why? Why I why are they portrayed they... as these things that are completely out of touch with, with the world when everything in Middle Earth is supposed to be this connected thing I mean, everything on, 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 on air on the world is supposed to be like this connected thing Right. In the books, th- the Ent decide decides to... to go to war. In the film, <laughs> yes. they're like, mm, we're not going to go to war. And then somehow Treebeard gets angry and then this fully formed line of Ents just march out of <laughs> the forest. Like, what the fuck yeah, is yeah, this yeah. about?
1: He, he, he gives his great roar and then all of the Ents are suddenly there. And you're like, wait wait, wait a second.
0: What? Uh, psych. we were ready all along. I mean, it's, it's epic. It's yeah. a great scene. But it doesn't make any sense. I, I,
1: no. It was to give Merry and Pippin... The win, right? It's to to give them the agency to be the ones who get the ants to go to war rather than it be decided by the ants while they're there.
0: Yeah, but they do that in the books anyway, right? Because it's the news that Mary and Pippin bring that it is Saruman destroying the forest that that gets them to declare war.
1: I think that's the.
0: Yeah. You can do that. I think. Okay, fine. I may not disagree with you there, but. But Triebid mentions in the film that he's spoken to Gandalf, right? Because he delivers the hobbits to Gandalf.
1: I told Gandalf yeah. I'd keep you safe. And so he um, told me that
0: Gandalf didn't say, oh, Triebid, maybe you should, uh, you know, sort out Isengard and stuff.
1: <laughs> Can you please go and... Yeah, I... I just... I don't think the filmmakers knew what to do with the ants. Oh, make them look I'm, great. <laughs> other than make them look great. Like, they're a bit... We've not had a lot of fantasy, like, true fantasy, in the book, in the films, up till this point. We've had the Balrog. Mm. And that's... And you've got the orcs and the orc But that's sort of it, and everything else is broadly non-fantastical. And then all of a sudden, you've got these, like, walking trees. And because you haven't had the Barrow Downs, because you haven't had Miramir, because you haven't had Aragorn as this larger-than-life and what Boromir is, these larger-than-life heroes, the Ents come a bit out of nowhere? Perhaps. Perhaps. perhaps I don't I don't know that yeah, I entirely perhaps. believe that, but that's sort of a sense I get.
0: I think there's also this idea, that for me, is the pacing is a little bit hard. To get a grip of, I think, in that part of the film. Because the ends are supposed to be really ben. slow, right? The end is really slow, but it's happening at the same time as Helm's Deep, which is just, you know, that's like an evening, ultimately, in the film. So you're like, this this really long just by the ends doesn't feel all that long? <laughs> yeah, it's what,
1: three days from Gandalf leaving. Four days from Gandalf leaving to Gandalf returning. Yeah. Basically. And in that, I had to, yeah, I don't know. It, it 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 feels paced badly in the film as well. Like it, it literally feels slow. Yes, in a way, it's but, just yeah. But but it
0: being juxtaposed with the battle for Helm's Deep is yeah. There's something not not quite. that doesn't quite work for me there. But again, it's this whole theme of humanization, right? They, they've humanised Treebeard in the Ents, so where they're like, you know, it's not really our problem, which is quite a human. Emotions, uh, our no, oh, and then, is they're confron-
1: fine. <laughs> then they're confronted with the problem, and that's what jolts them to action. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually a cutting uh, commentary on people only dealing with, I think, problems like climate change when it directly affects them. Wow. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> where's, where's that come from? I don't know. I just thought of it. Was when you said you know people, uh, it, it, it's a thing that happens in real life. I was like, no, it ad- absolutely is. So, it, you know, it it works from a humanization perspective, but I sort of don't need the Ents to be humanised.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I
0: agree with you, but, but again, I think if if that's the tone you've gone with for the film, then all of a sudden coming upon this, you know, group of yeah of beings that you've never seen or heard about and who are, like, weirdly clued into everything that's going on. <laughs> that that would also be quite jarring. True. Yeah, so, really so true. it's a change I don't necessarily like, but uh, I think the writers for the films were nothing if not consistent, you know? And I, and I think mm-hmm. that really served No, I think well. that's absolutely true. But we have, like, nine more things on our list. <laughs> We've got the entirety of Return of the King. <laughs> Uh, but we're an hour over an hour in at this point. So part I think, two. I think
1: we just. I think we just do a part two, so not. we can do we can do Return of the King, and we can also do some of the more thematic things like your your the Gandalf problem, and yeah, the and big themes. Like yeah, yeah the the Gandalf problem. I, I'm part of that. Yeah, it gives you two weeks to work out what you meant. As well. <laughs> I, I know exactly. Do what this meant. one. I think we should do this straight after as well. So I think we should do it as episode 57. I agree. Just drop it straight. I think that's the best way to do it. Is that because you're too lazy to think come about the other topic for episode 57. <laughs> 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 yeah.
0: Hey, I don't hate it. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Um, okay. Well, so sorry, folks, if you were really hoping mm. to hear about our take on Return of the King specifically, but uh, you'll have to come back next
1: time. Yeah. Yeah. We've got lots to say about the Army of the Dead.
0: Oh, many things. And hopefully by that point, Sean will have learned how to say Anduril.
1: Anduril. Oh, anduril. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Anduril. Mm, yeah. <laughs> this is so good. A fucking ass. But, thanks for listening to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. No doubt, we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive as ever feel free to let us know rate the podcast and leave us a comment or drop us an email at expertise overrated at gmail.com tweet us at zero expertise check out our website expertise overrated.podbean.com or come join us on our discord server
0: if you're lucky we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes if you're really lucky we might call you an idiot come back next time for some more absolute nonsense